0: Some of you at one point or another may have made this comment. If only I had known, or I should have known, or if I knew then what I know now, and you can finish the sentence. There are many people in life who, if they could live life over again, they would live different. I've I've talked with, visited with many, many people in their later stages of life, they, they say those things. If I had known then what I know now, or hindsight's twenty twenty, and so on. Many people, when they come to the end of life, they have regrets, wishing they had done things different. There is a way to avoid that, if you're young, by listening to wisdom, by listening to instruction, being careful. Also, there's a way to correct what has been missed. We can do that. But there comes a time when it's too late. And when it's too late, it's too late for eternity. There's no such thing as repeating life. You can't get back to your childhood and start over. But we are given enough information in the Bible to have a life that can bring us to a place where at the end of life we can say, you know what? Good journey. And we can say with the Apostle Paul, I finished the race, I've kept the faith, and now the crown of righteousness is prepared for me. We are in our sermon series today still called God's Good Creation. We've gone through quite a number of sermons, how God created this world, how he started it all, and how he he got everything going. Then he put Adam and Eve in the garden and told them what they could and couldn't do. And then two Sundays ago we talked about Adam and Eve and how they messed it all up. They listened to the serpent, they ate from the forbidden fruit, they got kicked out of the garden, and so there was consequences for what they did. And then last Sunday we talked about how it went downhill from there. Adam and Eve had two boys, Cain and Abel, and Abel was a righteous man, Cain was not, and Cain was upset because God didn't recognize, give affirmation to his sacrifice like he had to Cain, and so Cain was angry, and God warned him, you better take ownership of your situation, Cain instead just decided to kill his brother. And it went downhill from there. I'm wondering, I'm just kind of wondering, for instance, if Adam and Eve, when they got kicked out of the garden, after a few days out of the garden, Adam said to Eve, if I knew then what I know now. Or if only, if only. Or we should have, I wish we had. Or maybe Cain, when he killed his brother, when Cain decided he was going to murder his brother, he wasn't counting the cost. Is it possible that after Cain had was banished, actually God cursed him? It says God cursed him. God cursed the ground for Adam's sake, what Adam did, and then God cursed Cain because of what he did. I wonder if Cain also said later on in life, I wish I had, or if only. We're not told that. That's speculation. We can't say they, they said that or they thought that. We don't know. But the world was in a downward spiral. The world was progressively degenerating and corrupting and so on. Today we're going to read certain passages, not the whole chapters. We want to read out of Genesis chapter 6 and 7. We'll read all of it, just a few selected verses. But we want to cover the story... Of how God watched over one righteous man in all of this mess. There was one righteous guy. Well, actually, there was more. Enoch was a righteous man, and there may have been more who, who lived and died. Seth, we, as far as we know, was a righteous man. Um, we don't know he was a, he was an ungodly man. Um, and so we know that there were some some good people. But by the, by Noah's time, it was pretty bad. So bad, in fact, that God stepped in and He was going to do something about it. So let's read Genesis chapter six, starting verse one. Read a few. Uh, some verses here, and then we will um, just, just skip our way through this a little bit. Let's read Genesis chapter 6, starting verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land... Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I have made them. Let's stop there. I said at the start, we are in our sermon series on God's good creation. But as we're progressing deeper and deeper into the story, how it unfolds, we're finding there's more and more that's not good anymore. There's more and more that just... Is not working out. You know, sometimes a guy will buy a car at a dealership, and this is wrong, and then pretty soon he finds out that is wrong, and he brings it back continually. There's always problems with it. Finally, he says, you know what? I think I bought a lemon. Did God think he made a lemon when he created planet Earth? No. God didn't create a lemon. God created a beautiful, perfect, holy place. Satan came in and used people to destroy it, and people were willing to do it. And more and more as time went on, it just got worse and worse. I want to pick out a few select verses from the passage we just read. The next slide here, verse 5. Just park on that verse for a moment. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is a very dark verse. It's a diagnosis of what's going on in the world. It's descriptive what's happening on God's earth. This was what was going on before the flood. Mankind was totally focused, self-focused and self-absorbed, very idolatrous. It says every intention of his heart was mostly evil, no, only evil, continually. Ongoing, self-perpetuating, increasing and growing. Let's just reflect on that for a moment. When we look at our time, the direction in which our world is going today, and we don't need to point fingers at any particular country. They're all the same, it seems. Things are not getting better. We're on a downward spiral. Sin and violence abound in ever-increasing ways. It's been said by people who write history, historians say that the 20th century was the bloodiest century in recorded history. Never before in all recorded history were humans as violent or shed as much blood as they did in the 20th century now we don't have records of every country every war and so on but it was bloody and it was brutal and it was bad and all the stuff going on today we live in the 21st century we're now 21 years in almost well we just started the 21st year what started last year with a pandemic we've not yet seen the end of that we have no idea what may yet come we have no idea it seems like if something as small as this virus can cause such havoc, what if a real catastrophe hits? Why am I mentioning this? Because this is an opportunity for us as a church to stand up for truth, to shine light in the darkness. The church is called for that. Now, we have different opinions on how to respond, but nevertheless, truth and love and honesty and compassion and integrity should always be hallmarks of the church. As Christians, we're called for that. No matter how bad the world gets... There's always an opportunity to do right. And we're going to find out Noah was that man. The world is living today as if there's no consequence for its actions. The world is living as though there's nobody going to be holding anybody responsible. Everybody can do what they want. People are free to do as their hearts and desires guide them. But God is watching. It says so. In Genesis 6 and 7, he was watching. It doesn't matter what we believe or think. God is watching. God is still God. And in fact, the psalmist talks about that. Psalm 139. Let's read some of the psalmist w- words. Psalm 139, verse 7, the psalmist says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me, Be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for the darkness is as light with you. God is watching. God is there. God's observing. The psalmist knew there was no hiding from God. God was always present everywhere, observing, watching, taking notes. And God's never surprised, caught off guard, or worried. The book of Jeremiah, we find a few verses, and I want to read Jeremiah chapter 23. Verse 23, here God is speaking through the prophet. God is saying these words. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. God's presence is everywhere at all times, fully. There's no hiding. We cannot hide. The psalmist knew that. Jeremiah knew that. God is watching. God is observing. He's paying attention. And just because people are not does not mean it's out of sight, out of mind. In creation, after the fall, when people had been multiplying for many years, God saw it was getting from bad to worse. At a certain point, God said, okay, that's it, up to here and no more. And the people of that day had zero idea of the thoughts that God was having or the things God was going to do. They were living it up, so to speak. We don't know what their thoughts were except that they were evil continually. And toward the end of my sermon, I'm going to read a few verses out of Matthew where Jesus talks about what they were doing and gives us some insight. So in this scripture, in Genesis chapter 6 and 7, there's this steep downward spiral of morality and corruption and evil. The continuing lowering of God's moral standards. The continuing ongoing degradation and decay of life. <clears throat> and what we find is, when God confronted Adam, there was no negotiation or bargaining. When he confronted Cain, there was no negotiation and bargaining. And now the same way again. When it came to destroying the world through the flood, he did not negotiate. He did not compromise. He did not change the standards. He did not rewrite the moral code. Humanity, so to speak, ran into a brick wall. That's going to happen again. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later as well. God is holy. He doesn't play games. He's serious. He doesn't joke around. It says in verse 6 here that, um, in verse 6, Genesis 6, verse 6, and the Lord regretted, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. You see, no employee in any factory or plant likes it when their job does not meet quality control or inspections, when their work is rejected if it has to be done over or discarded, a new product, produced, whatever. Nobody likes that. The thing in life is you can't live life over again. Once it's done, it's done. The worst position in this world to be is when we're in God's displeasure. Nothing is worse than having grieved and offended a holy, righteous God and the world of that day had done it. God is not the kind of personality or the being who has to think back and say, you know what? I'm wondering if I got this one right. Maybe we can maybe modify a little bit here. He doesn't do that. He regrets that he made mankind, not because he said, okay, you know what, actually I made a mistake. It's not like that. God uses human language and his word for us to grasp what's happening. And it's not complete. We could go on a long time about this, this, about this, this, this topic here. God was watching. It's not like he was surprised or anything, but he's saying, okay, this has to stop. He had given them freedom to choose to obey him, and they had not, now now he's going to make an end of it. Let's read verse 7. It says in verse 7, So the, Lord's, the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. He doesn't say, I'm thinking of blotting out, man. I could, maybe I might. He said, I will. I'll blot him out. I'm going to destroy humanity. This is difficult. And we may ask, well, did he have to? Well, if he's going to be perfect, he's going to be holy. If he's not going to tolerate sin, if he's going to uphold his standards, then he had to. Everything that does not line up with his standard, he removes. And the story takes a very interesting turn in verse 8. It says in verse 8, let's read that first, first phrase there, verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then there's, uh, and then I'm, I'm jumping through uh, quite a stretch there and just continuing on verse 13. I leave out Noah's his wife and his kids and that. It says, and God said to Noah, verse 13, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Is God throwing out the baby with the bathwater? So Why not just kill the people? No, he, he goes all out. He destroys not just the bad people, he destroys creation, so to speak. What is noteworthy is how God is paying attention. And if you go to the New Testament, you find how Jesus describes his Father God. Jesus says, not a bird falls to the ground without the Heavenly Father noticing it. He says, the hair on your head are all numbered. And yet here he says, I've determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. God informed Noah what he was going to do. And again, it was, an, it was not a dialogue, a discussion. It was information. God was informing him. But then it gets tough in verse 14. In verse 14, God says, "'Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. "'Make rooms in the ark, "'cover it inside and out with pitch.' Now, I think if I had been Noah, if I was Noah, I'm not saying that I would do this, but I would be tempted to do this. I would say, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, God. That's those guys. Why are you dragging me into this? I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not a bad guy. I've obeyed your precepts, your laws, your your whatever. I've been following you. Okay, you want to destroy them? Go ahead. That's That's your business. But I'm a good guy. Why do you want me to make a boat? I just want to go on living. I get it. Culture's rotten, corrupt, evil, and so on. Destroy them if you must, but leave me out of it. I want to keep my job, my business. Well, that would have been gone too, but you get the drift. God involved Noah in the process of how he was going to protect him. I find that fascinating. God involved Noah in this whole affair. God got Noah into it. So God gave Noah some instructions, told him how to make a boat, what to do. Very detailed instructions, in fact. Let's jump down to verse 22. Verse 22, it says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him, just as he was instructed. And then God brought the animals to him. And for all we know, as commentators suggest, this took a long, long time. Some say maybe a hundred years or so. It wasn't just a few days and he didn't order the ark on Amazon or online or call a factory and have him build a boat. It was not like that. His whole life was interrupted. His whole life was involved in this. God was including him, his wife and sons in the process. And we don't find Noah complaining. He wasn't at fault, but he sure was involved. Whatever it was that Noah was doing for a living, that was going to end too when the world was destroyed. Why do I have to suffer for that, right? He didn't do anything wrong. The world was corrupt, only evil, it says. And here Noah gets drawn into it. Things were going to get complicated. Isn't that how it usually works? One kid does bad and parents make a rule that affects all the kids, right? Or maybe all the kids do bad except one. Parents make rules and all the rest of them have to suffer too. Life isn't fair. Life is what it is. And Noah is affected here. Noah has to, has to endure as well. It says in verse 7, chapter 7, verse 1. Let's read 7, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household. For I have seen you are a righteous man, you are righteous before me in this generation. It's a compliment, but it's an order. It's a command. And I don't know what Noah must have been thinking, but he could, let's say Noah had self-pity issues. He could have said, You yeah, poor me. Now, I've got to start this whole thing over again just because those guys are bad. I get to suffer now because of them. No, actually, he was being protected. God was watching out for him. Yeah, losing his business, his farm, his income, whatever he had to make a living, that was all going to be washed away, all going to be destroyed in the flood. But God was sparing him. What we see is to live righteously before God is not easy, it's not comfortable, it's not always convenient. When we are in relationship with God, we may have to pay a price for living right. The Apostle Peter talks about it in 2 Peter 2 verse 5. I won't have the verse on the the board here, but Noah is a preacher of righteousness, Peter says. He did not suffer punishment and death when God destroyed the world, but he was deprived of his livelihood. And he was protected in the ark, but he had to give that up. He did not suffer the punishment of death, but a lot of inconvenience. Who wants to go for a whole year in a boat full of animals? And we don't know what kind of ride it was. The righteous are not spared pain and inconvenience. When God deals with sin, it has far-reaching consequences. It says in chapter 7, verse 7, it says, And Noah and his sons and his, wife and his wife's, sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. God protected Noah, but through Noah's hand. We get involved. We become part of the process at times. It says it rained 40 days. Makes one wonder what the sinful generation of Noah's time was thinking when the rain started falling. And it didn't stop. The water started coming higher. Eventually, things started floating. Noah's boat started floating. As the waters rose, did they beat on the door? Bang on the door. Hey, can, can we get in too? We don't know what happened. But we know they died They paid for their sins with their lives. God had shut the door. Anybody who was not inside died. It says in verse 21, chapter 7, verse 21, And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind, everything on dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He, meaning God, he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. From the time that God first talked to me, hey Noah, I know you're a righteous man. I'm going to destroy the world, but I found you as righteous. I want you to build a boat, and this is how you do it, and you'll be saved. From that time till it all happened was a long time. And the purpose of this was. God was going to show the world that he was serious about sin. God has ways of dealing with sin. He still does. But he protected Noah from the judgment of his wrath on sin, and he watched over him. Noah lived a righteous life, but that did not spare him from having his life upended and dragged into the situation that he had to sacrifice and make changes in his life to accommodate the plans that God had for him. Actually, to surrender to the plans God had for him. We do know God instructed him to build a boat, a monumental task, taking a long time, but never once do we find Noah complaining. And then once on board, the job was not over. And then once the water was gone, we find that in other stories, once the water was gone, he had to start over from scratch. And we know that Noah was not a very... Um, Well liked guy, and the Bible talks about him being a preacher of righteousness, and only him and his wife and sons and their sons' wives were saved. So nobody listened or nobody converted, nobody became righteous. Only him and his wife and sons and their wives. Noah was safe inside the ark, but on the outside, God was reigning judgment. So, what's the lesson here for us today? God's judgment on sin has not changed. One day God will again judge this world. He will pour out his wrath and judgment. Jesus talked about it a lot. God is still the same God he's always been. Today we're not in danger of a flood, wiping away humanity. The rainbow in the sky that God put there is a promise to that. But he does say in numerous other places that this world will again be destroyed. Next time it's going to be through fire. We see in God's laws what his commandments are, that all of us have sinned and fall short and are guilty as sinners. But today we're not invited into a wooden ark to get saved or to escape judgment. Today we're not invited into that. Today we're invited by Jesus into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ so we can have eternal life and not perish eternally. God watched over Noah by having him do a great work and build an ark in which he was going to protect them, and he did. Today we're invited into a life of obedience and faithfulness to Jesus, to walk in love and unity with God and with each other. And God is watching over his church, not by sparing the church from hardship, but by being with the church in hardship. And the invitation is for people today to join up with God and walk with him. The only way to do that is through Jesus Christ. One day, it was actually the last day before Jesus, the last evening before Jesus got arrested and, and tortured and crucified, He's together with his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 6. He's having a discussion with Thomas, and he says to Thomas, Thomas asks him some questions, and Jesus responds, John 14, verse 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That's a bold statement, all-inclusive statement. Jesus says, I am your protection. I'm your way to salvation. We can come to God today and receive that gift. I want to read also Matthew chapter 24. Here's some words of warning that Jesus has for people who don't take it seriously. Matthew chapter 24, beginning of verse 36, Jesus talking about the end times. He says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, here it is, as were the days of Noah, so will be. The coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware, until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Meaning himself. Verse 40 he says, Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. After God shut the door of the ark, it was too late. It was over. Nobody else got in. When I die, it's too late. When you die, it's too late. There's no turning back and starting over. Noah had an ark to build as a witness to an ungodly world that had no use for God, that had contempt and mockery, and they paid with their lives. We don't have to build a wooden ark. We have a life to surrender to Jesus. We have a cross to carry for him. And a life to live for his glory. For one day he'll take us home. And the day that we die is when he comes to take us home. And Jesus invites us today. The invitations will not last forever. And when they're over, then they're over. But today we have this opportunity to live for Jesus. And the story of God's good creation continues on. But in this story of Noah and the flood we find out We see how God loved Noah, how he showed grace to Noah. He showed grace to everybody, but some people received it and some rejected it and all were responsible for their actions. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for your word to us. We're thankful for the stories in the Bible that carry such deep and powerful truths. Help us, Lord Jesus, to not take for granted the days of grace that we have. You showed grace to your creation before the flood, and you're showing grace to your creation now. But if we refuse it, then we have nothing but judgment to expect. Lord, may we live and serve to glorify and honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.